Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. A few moments ago, we, we, we took communion and we remembered what Jesus did on the cross. Next week, of course, we'll, we'll celebrate that again, as we often do as a church. But I want to talk about a different time, a different uh, experience that the disciples had that, that often we just fly over the top of. We don't even <clears throat> give it much thought. And as a matter of fact, I think we interpret it completely wrong. And so today I want to talk about how the church can be transformed. The key to what I believe is transforming the church. And I'm not just talking about buildings. I'm talking about people. That how we as a church can position ourselves by just doing a very simple thing, walking in a simple way that I think can not only transform us, but it can change the world. So I want to ask that question. May I wash your feet? In John 13, 1 through 17, Jesus gives us this story. John actually records it. And I find it interesting that as he records this, I think he gets it. And it's why it was so impacting to him. And so I want to read it, and then I want to take it apart for us. And I want us to walk away with some pretty important, what I think are principles that will change our life, if we'll, if we'll let them. But in John 13, it, goes, it starts with verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And of course, we know what that is. We know what he was talking about there. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. That's powerful in and of itself. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin or a bowl and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Then, uh, then Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, said Simon Peter, Peter then, just wa- then not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had both have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you, are also, you, you should also wash one another's feet. And I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger 
greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. As I said earlier, I think most Christians often miss the point of what Jesus was doing in this story. And John mentions it because it must have, again, impacted him so greatly. So consequently, he frames it as one of the key last words of Jesus. And it's interesting that John would pick this particular story to bring in, to give to us, to, to, to think about when we think of the last days of Christ. So what can we learn? Let me take this apart for us and get to what I believe is the most powerful part of this story. First of all, what we see in this story is that Judas and Jesus are contrasted, okay? Not to miss that point. It would have been Jesus, or John could have told the whole story without even mentioning Judas. Didn't have to even mention him. Matter of fact, it probably would have been more appropriate from our standpoint of him not to be mentioned at all. It's like, why talk about him? I mean, he betrayed the Lord. He died, died in an inglorious fashion. And why should we even mention the guy at such a holy situation? But his name is brought up because they're meant to be contrasted. Okay? Judas, in contrast to what Jesus was getting ready to do, is selfish. His life represents only the me mentality. He was only in it for the money. He was in it for the recognition. He was in it to be a part of what was going on. He was following the fire. He saw that there was this gathering. He saw, and, and, and of course, he was invited, and we know where he's called the son of perdition, and, and it was probably predestined that he was going to be what he was. But from our human standpoint, we look at this guy, and what we see is something pretty ugly. But not recognizable from the beginning. As a matter of fact, I don't think any of the other disciples even caught who this guy was. He was the holder of the money bag. We find out later in other teachings and other portions of Scripture that he was probably lifting a little bit here and there. And so he was selfish. He was confused. Why he was doing what he was doing, again, he, it, it, you need to get that picture here. It's just that this was a guy that was a part of the church, if you will. He was a part of what was going on. He was a man who was recognized. He was a man of important position and placing. And he's mentioned in this story, but again, we know, because of what we know about him, that he was a mess. And ultimately was working against God. Boy, that's hard to even fathom. Why would Jesus even let that happen? except that all things work to good for God's purposes. And that there needed to be this person in place. It's kind of messes up your theology, doesn't it, a little bit? But it's important that we get this. Jesus, in contrast to Judas, who, again, is selfish, he's confused, he's working against God, he's being influenced by the enemy himself. On the other hand, we have Jesus, who John mentions, and, and I love this because you can see what he's doing. He says, having had all things put under his feet, under his power. So he's just saying, now look, and, and John's the only gospel that really makes it clear that he is God, by the way. And I'm not saying the other three don't. They all have their different perspectives, the facets of looking at the same diamond. But John is looking at what is taking place here purely from Jesus is God point of view. And you can't miss that, which is why John is studied completely separately from the other Gospels. So here, John is pointing out, he said, this guy, 
Jesus knew that everything was put under his feet in comparison to Judas, who was completely selfish, completely demonized, really. Here is Jesus, who is the very essence of the holiness of God and all things placed under his feet. He goes on and says, he came from the Father and was going to return to the Father, just to make it clear. Just to make it clear. He said, he came from heaven. He's going back to heaven. This is who he is. Again, if you read in other parts of John, you'll get the fact that, well, John, you already mentioned that. Why are you mentioning this again? And particularly in this story, again, the contrast, and to set the stage of what we're going to learn here. He was unselfish in comparison to Judas, who was thinking only selfishly. Jesus was getting ready to show everyone that he was the essence of unselfishness. The very essence of it, to the very end. And John points that out. He says, he is getting ready to show his love to the very end. His love focused. And he's not just talking about the cross. Jesus is also confident, as opposed to Judas, who's confused, who's sitting in the room. His mind must have been just racing. Okay, when can I get out of here? I just, I'm getting more and more uncomfortable by the moment as Jesus is doing these things, as he's talking about blood, he's talking about sacrifice, he's talking about, you know, uh, the, the work of God and, and all of this. And Judas is just like, I don't want to hear any more of that. I got to get out of here. I got to set this guy up. I got to look for the opportune moment. I've already got things arranged. Jesus, knowing all of this, unselfish to the very end, confident in what the Father had called him to do, what he was getting ready to do, confident with his position with the Father. No confusion at all. So we've got these two individuals contrasted during this meal. Not supposed to miss that part. John saw it. Secondly, Jesus gives one last object lesson. He's very good at doing that. And as far as a teacher is concerned, you notice he said that, you call me teacher, and he goes, and that's what I am. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a rabbi. And he's a very, very good one. He used farm, agrarian society parables. He did everything he could do from the elementary, almost childlike explanations of God's love to these ornate, prophetic, tying in with Isaiah and Elijah, you know, kind of teachings that we're still scratching our head about. This was the teacher. And he gets one last object lesson that will be the key for all Christians to understand. It's incredibly powerful. So in this place of power and without doubt, Jesus demonstrates truth in utter humility. The Son of God debases himself to wash the feet of the men he created. Can you see this? God gets down on his knees and washes these dirty, nasty feet of the very men he created. You say, Jesus? Yeah. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our own image. Who's the us? Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit. They were there. So here is the creator washing the dirty, nasty feet of his created ones. There is no greater, well, there's going to be, of course, on the cross, but here is an example of kind of a pre-cross humility, a humbling, a service that did not involve blood or death. 
that, I mean, it, you, you see it taking place here. Again, it's, it just seems simple, but <laughs> the, the impact here is amazing of what is really taking place here. Certainly, this made the disciples very uncomfortable. Because this is, this is not happening at the very beginning when they didn't really know who he was. They're just thinking, well, he's just a, a teacher. We, we've heard about him. He was a great carpenter. We're still having, you know, we still sit on the uh, chairs, you know, made by Jesus Incorporated, you know. You know they know about Jesus to a certain degree. But now, at the end of this three-year period, they don't know what to really make of this guy. He made storms disappear. He healed people of every imaginable disease. They're looking at him going, we're pretty sure you're the Messiah. We're not sure what that all even means, but we know you're an amazing person, and we don't know how this is all going to play out. But why are you doing that? It blew their minds. As a matter of fact, they found this room through a miracle. He said, hey, look, go, you'll find this guy with a donkey, and you'll have an upper room. Bring the donkey and secure the room. They're like, okay. They get there, sure enough, the donkey's there, the room is ready. They're going, does this guy just not continue to cease to amaze us? So the, the room is just pregnant with expectation, glory, if you will, at who this person is. And then when he stands up, they expect him to do another miracle, but what he does is he takes his clothes off, and he's standing there with just you know, the undergarment that they would wear in that time, just a, just a, a, a piece of cloth that they would wrap in a certain way to, to make underwear. And he's standing, the guys must be going, oh man, what's, what's Jesus doing? Jesus. And he gets down on his knees. And he gets a bowl of water. And he begins to wash their feet. Now I gotta remind you, look, it made them uncomfortable because, again, they're getting pretty close to fully understanding who he was and the concept of the Messiah. And, and, and again, it's to this point where they're just, they're, their minds are being blown. And then Peter, who, you know, he is just the epitome of this emotional, you know, comes in the mind, comes out the mouth. And so he's sitting there, and he realizes what's going on. And he goes, no, 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 Lord, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. They're all thinking it. Peter says it. Peter says, no, 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 don't wash my, you can't wash my feet. And reading in between the lines so that you understand what's going on here, he, what he's thinking, what he's saying in those words, he's saying, look, you are the Messiah. You, you are something special. We know Peter confessed it. Peter pretty much had gotten the revelation of God of who he was. He's like, you can't do that. You're the promised one of God, only servants, only slaves, only the debased of, of people in the world will do what you're doing to me right now. No, 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 no. Peter's pride, thirdly, Peter's pride is, is preempted. So what Peter is really saying is, no, Lord, because of your great position, you should never debase yourself to serving others like this. This is only something done by, again, the lowlifes and the untouchables, not you. Jesus pushes right through Peter's ignorance with great love. And he says to him, if you don't let me do this, and just paraphrasing phrasing in, my, in my way, if you don't let me do this, you can be no part of me. My translation, in other words, he, and it's an interesting choice of words, he didn't say you can't be a part of my kingdom. He says you can't have a part of me. 
What he's essentially saying is you can't have a personal relationship with me. You can't be close to me. You can't have my heart and walk in my ways if you do not let me do this to you right now. And all its complexity. If you don't get this, then you don't pass the final exam. All that you have learned over three years of what, of, of what I've taught you, go and to serve and to love. Father, send them away. Send the 3,000 away. Send the 5,000. No, we're going to feed them. We're going to love them. We're going to teach them. We're going to, we're going, guys, we're working until the job is done. We are going to love people because that's what we're here to do. The guys are going, okay, man, man, this Jesus, he sure is into, that Jesus, he sure is into people. And this example is no different than what he has already showed them, except now he's doing it to them. Before they could kind of get it because it's kind of Jesus, Jesus Christ incorporated ministries. The offerings go up when the people get healed. But now there's none of that involved here at all. Now it absolutely cuts across everything. They say, no, 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 you can't. You, you can't do this. So Peter, again, is refusing. He says, no, 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 look, if you don't, do, if you don't let me do this for you, then you can't have a personal relationship with me. And then, of course, Peter gets that. And he goes, oh, oh well, look, I want to be with you. I, I mean, I've given everything for you, and so go ahead and wash my, my head and my hands as well. He's not getting it. And Jesus said, Peter, look, this is not, you know. So he says, wash my hands and my head as well. I want all that you have. And so Jesus goes then on to clarify the symbolic gesture. He says, look, guys, this isn't about taking a bath right now. You guys think this is about taking a bath? No, 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 I'm going to help you see. Come on, dig deeper, dig, dig, follow me here. You know I'm a guy of of metaphors and allegories and, and figures of speech, so come on, follow me here. This is not really about getting clean spiritually. So it's not a physical bath thing. That didn't really matter whether their feet were dirty or not dirty. It wasn't whether their head and hands were clean. It wasn't all about a bath at all. And it wasn't even about being spiritually clean because Jesus moves on from that too. He says, look, you guys are already clean. This is not about a bath. This is not even about being spiritually clean. He says, you've been with me for the last three years and that's been enough. You've learned, I've taught you, we've dealt with sin, we've dealt with everything. I'm not talking about, he says, you, have, you guys are clean because of being with me. And that's an interesting uh, point right there. But again, you can't blame the guys for assuming that because they're, 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 in, that's why Peter said, well, look, wash my hand and my, my, my hands as well. Because he's saying, look, because I want to be with you. And if this means about me having to do another object lesson, Jesus, to, to connect with you, he says, no, 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 no. Look, guys, this is not about what I've done for you. This is not about who you are in me. So hang in there. Keep following me. He says, I want you to see what I'm doing symbolically here. So he makes that quick interjection, John does, a Judas again. He says, you're all clean except one of you. Judas gets put in again, just to remind us, just to contrast what he's getting ready to say, because Judas is the epitome of what Jesus 
is not trying to do and is what the enemy tries to do in taking the kingdom of God, taking Christianity and twisting it and making it selfish. Judas is the example of the church gone bad in every way. But now we're getting ready to see how we can make the church right. Check this out. And so he goes, do you really understand what I did? So he washed their feet to teach them a very important kingdom principle. And so he sits down. He says, do you guys understand what I just did? And they're all looking at each other. You washed their feet, and now they're clean? He says, no. He says, look, and I'm, I'm going to put it all together for you. He says, I'm the greatest person. It's obvious. John points it out. He says, he's the son of God. Come from the Father, going back to the Father, the greatest human being who is also God that any has ever touched the planet. And yet, he did the lowliest thing that could be done that their, their minds could understand. They've already done a ton of other things. Hanging out with lepers. Feeding the poor. Doing an amazing amount of very benevolent, loving things. But to, when he turned the tables on them, it was very difficult for them to understand. It's based on all that they had known about this, who this man was. And then he says this. This is the mind blown. Now you do it for one another. Was he really talking about washing feet? And this is, this is what sometimes I chuckle to myself, and I'm not making fun of the foot washings that churches have from time to time. I understand that it's, it's a symbolic thing, but was it really about washing feet? No. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Christians, we should not create an honor culture that sees that service is a lowly thing. Jesus said, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I am the very essence of the highest thing that God has ever done. Come to the earth as a baby. Done, I mean, the, the humiliation compared to the glory is just, it goes on and on and on and on. And it's now you go and do the same thing. Judas was all about position. Judas was all about creating honor. Judas was all about self-indulgent, narcissistic thinking. Jesus said, you want to break all that up? Do you want to change the church? Do you want to get the church doing what it's called to do? Do this for one another. And don't let any one of you become greater than the next. Let it sink in now. Let it sink in. Let it go beyond skin deep. Did you hear what I said when I started? Don't create an honor culture. And so I should start with myself. Don't do that to me. Don't, don't hail the pastor. Don't play hail the chief when I come to the stage. Don't Put me in a position. Don't honor me in a way that, is, that would replace God in any way. You know, he said the greatest of you <laughs> would be the least. God turns our world upside down. And yet Judas continues to sneak his ugly head into the church to create this kind of culture where we honor position 
where we honor placement, where we honor those who are the best looking, the most talented. We honor those who are the most intelligent. We honor those, and we put those into positions. We raise them up only to attract the judgment of God upon them, by the way. Not a nice thing to do to someone. You want to destroy someone? Worship them. Don't do it. Don't you dare do it. He says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. We should not venerate leaders or anyone who has perceived power or greatness as deserving special treatment. Service, we think, is for the wannabes, the world says. In another place, again, Jesus said that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. When we get to heaven, that's how it's going to shake down, people. That is going to how it be. Those who have gathered and garnered the most honor and glory here on this earth will be in the last of the line. Man, just walk into the DMV and do that someday. You say, okay, the ones on the last, we're all going to switch. The person who is getting ready to go up to the front, you're now in the last of the line. Woo! Talk about getting some people hot. Of course, you're in your middle. You're just like, well, that wasn't much of a change. You know, oh, well. I guess there's some wisdom in that, by the way. <laughs> Secondly, Christians, whatever their place of faith, power, rank, or position, should allow others to wash their feet, which means that we should let others serve and minister to us. We should not let pride get in our way at allowing anyone to love us. We, we don't have any problem with that. Oh, yeah, 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 let them love on me, Pastor. You know, I, I get that. I need some loving. But it goes on from there. Washing their feet also means to let them teach you. To let them minister to you. To serve you out of pure love. Nothing can get at pride any faster than somebody come up and say, can I help you? Oh, guys, do we not know what we're talking about here? Hey, do you need direction? What are you talking about? Man, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a living, I'm a walking GPS. What are you talking about? I know exactly where I'm going. Drop me off in the middle of nowhere, honey, and I will find myself back where I go. I mean, you know? So for us to ask for help, not an easy thing to do. Why? Because it cuts into pride. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Basically, what I see Jesus doing here is that pride is going to be, you see that guy sitting over there named Judas? He is what you're going to become if you continue to walk in the way that the human heart wants to push you. You're going to end up like him. But I'm showing you this is how it's going to work. This is the only way it can work is that the greatest, I am the very son of God. I am God. I'm your creator. And here I'm doing a very debasing thing. Now you go and do the same one to another. Are you getting it now? That's what Jesus said will transform the world. That's what will change the church. That's what will make the church a lot more attractive. Not when you walk in and say, oh, well, you know, there's the big guy, and the further you get away from the stage, you know, we'll call you up when you've done the greater works. No. No, but to finish my point here, somebody walks up and says, may I help you? We need to let them help us. A lot of pride gets in our way when someone is teaching us. 
And it's amazing where teaching will come from sometimes. It can come from a donkey, as we know from Scripture, but it can also come from the people least likely in your life. It can come from children. It can come from your enemy. It can come from anyone in your life who are going to teach you and give you a lesson that God is going to speak through, and that's letting them wash your feet, by the way. Because pride rises up and says, no, 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 I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you do that. Folks, we've got to get past that. We've got to let people minister to us. You know, as a pastor, sometimes people will have a good idea. And inside, you know, you, you, you're sorting that through. You're trying to, okay, okay, how do I work through this? How do I work that? And it's amazing that sometimes somebody who I don't even know just comes up, Pastor, can I pray for you? Pride in me would be like, no, man, look. I have devotions. I know the Bible. I don't need you, I don't need you praying for me right now, honey. I don't even know you. But humility says, you know, yes. You want to wash my feet? Wash my feet. I'll let you. I'll let you minister to me. Because it's important to you to do what you're doing. And it's important for me to receive it. Thirdly, what if I don't think I need what they're giving when it comes to somebody washing my feet? Within reason, of course. Let them do it anyway. I, I, I teach my kids this, and, and I walked in as many years. I forgot who I learned this from. But when somebody comes up and even tells you a story that you've heard a few times before, hey, you know, something like that. You know, washing someone's feet sometimes is just to let them enjoy the moment. Instead of shutting them down and say, hey, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Hey, can I, yeah, we'll see it. But loving people sometimes just means give them their place, let them enjoy their moment. Someone has something spiritually important to tell you or to tell another one, and they already know it, or they think they know it, let them wash your feet. Because sometimes you'd be surprised just what you'll learn to add on to your knowledge. Isn't that what wisdom is? The Bible tells us that wisdom is characterized by knowing wisdom and says, what, you got more wisdom? Well, I'll take some more. I'm always wanting more. Someone wants to encourage you following a struggle or a tra tragedy that you've endured, let them wash your feet. Let them want minister to you. Those are tough times. And then sometimes we do need our space. We need that, and that's important. But after a time, we need to let the church be the church. We need to let people minister to us. And that's just one side of it. We, got, we need to be willing to wash the feet or minister to people who we don't think are deserving, who we don't think, you know, uh, we should waste our time with, and yet God has called us to do it. You know, sometimes, uh, without getting too specific here, but sometimes I'm challenged as to why we do some of the things we do, and I'll say just because it's the right thing to do. Sometimes what we're taught in washing the feet of unlovable people is more for us to learn than it is for them to be blessed. And Jesus knew that. He said, guys, it's no problem for me, being God, your creator, to get down and to wash your stinky, nasty, smelly feet. It's no problem for me. I've got no struggle because I get it. Because I understand what the kingdom of God is all about. To be devoid of that. Devoid of, of pride that would shut down the work of God in us. 
Truthfully, if we resist, our hearts grow more closely akin to Judas rather than Jesus. And that's what goes on. When we create an honor culture, when we, you know, when we see that serving is a debasing thing, when we just say, look, I'm going to let everybody else do that, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to get in. Look, you know, a church is, in my opinion, a church's health is determined by the amount of serving that we do for one another and to the degree that is embraced by all the, the largest percentage of the church. You know, typically, 20% of a church does 80% of the work. I mean, that's very typical across the board. And, 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 and so, the more we break past that percentage, the best I think I've ever seen, I, you know, years ago when I, when I was keeping track of that was 50-50. And I think that's really rocking and rolling. But man, folks, look, if we ever figure this out, if the, if the church would ever understand what we're called to be and to do and embrace this idea of being serving, to be available, to not just be takers from the bag, but to be ones who give our lives unselfishly, not caring about what anybody thinks about us, but only God. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you're in big trouble if you don't do them. No, it's not what he said. I could preach that. I could preach that. I could get up here and say, you bunch of low down, you 80%, you need to get up. You know, I mean, I could do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you the words of Jesus. Jesus said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Isn't that a little bit of a motivator? And we're all looking for that. We're all looking for chances to be blessed. It's like, Pastor, tell me how to get blessed. I mean, that's what, I mean, I hate to say it, but, I mean, if that's the only reason why you're coming to church, uh-oh, it could be you're a little more like the guy over there. Don't come to church just to be blessed. He's saying, look, you want to be blessed? Then do the lowly things. Do, do the things that I've asked you to do. If you do them, you will be blessed. When, you know, when Jesus says you're going to get blessed for doing something, you need to listen up. Because blessed to me is to say, bless you, have a nice day. Be warm, be fed, be gone. When, Jesus, when God says, I'm going to bless you, watch out. Because you're going to get it. You're going to get it all. You're going to get it the best he's got. So folks, Jesus' example here seems like just a simple little thing that we celebrate once a year. The foot washing, hallelujah. You all coming to the foot washing? Uh, what? Uh-uh. The foot washing is something we do every single day. The foot washing, the example of Christ was that if we as the church can get past our struggles, our prejudices, our judgments, our, 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 the, the, the Judas in each one of us, we can get past that. Folks, the church can really rock and roll, and I know it's true. I know it's true. Because I'm looking at Jesus saying, you'll be blessed if you do them, and my eyes just go, whoop. Well, then I want that. So on this Palm Sunday, you know, Jesus, this was the time when Jesus did this, on these, this very time, this period. He gives him his last bit of advice. Guys, do this for one another. Because I'm going to be gone soon. You're going to be redeemed. You're spiritually clean. You don't need a bath. Not all about the bath. Well, some of us need a bath. But anyway. But it's all about, it is all about how we treat and serve one another. That is the church, my friends. And therein lies a power 
that can transform your, transform your lives. Amen?